Welcome to the One More Turn Season 4 Commentary. I'm Daniel Dan Q. Quick, series creator, writer, producer, publisher, promoter, joined by the voice actor for Carson. Hey, Scott. I <laughs> forgot my character's name. This is terrible. I think it's just a new guy. <laughs> And that was the voice actor for Caden, who totally remembered his character's name. <laughs> uh, the voice actor for Gary. Listeners, I'm Blair Fackle. The voice actress for Riley, Makalua. Hello. And the voice actor for Max. DC. Hello. <laughs> the fanfare for the voice actress for Avery. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> My name is Jennifer. And I quietly listened to all the seasons without saying anything. And so I was like, when you wanted somebody, I was like, well, yes, that would be good. So you got the part of Caden, even though you had no idea what the character's name was. And I mean, you still don't know, but that's okay. Uh, what the yeah. character was about. <laughs> and <laughs> He has feet. And I hear he has a head. Question number one, your first reactions when you had finished reading season four scripts, and I am totally randomizing who I'm asking this first question to. It's totally random. Scott? I was interested to see what uh, happens to the character now that he's left, if they're going to follow the story of him in a different place, or if it's just going to you know, remain focused on the main characters that are all in, still in the vicinity of each other. Ah, so Scott wants the spinoff to be focused on Carson, not Caleb and Pedro. Oh, I see. That's what's going on. That's not what I said, but okay. (laughs) You like to lawyer things, don't you? I will neither confirm nor deny. And (laughs) That explains half the storylines in this show. (laughs) Scott knew in advance of getting the scripts. I told Scott in advance, look, uh, I want you to know before anyone else on the cast or crew finds out, but this is what is happening. Not certain what's going to happen beyond this season, but Carson leaves. And quite frankly, I'll just say in preface, as far as Carson goes, it seemed to be like the culmination of his journey. It seemed for a long time that Carson was just pushing on a rope with the rest of these people and finally decided that instead of trying to push other people, I need to pull myself away from all of this craziness. Well, in my case, I forgot to actually read the scripts until after a turn cast, so we ended up talking about them before. So I knew, based on the conversation before, that Carson was leaving. Okay, I can can see what you did there, and I can see that he's gone. I guess the other strong thing I had after reading the drafts was, wow, the new guy sounds like Data. (laughs) Yeah, I I had that reaction as well. Fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Actually, in the season four episode recordings, Jennifer, you had referred to him as the love child of Joe Friday and Lieutenant Commander Data. <laughs> oh, God, did I? Very good, yes. When I was first reading through the script, I was kind of waiting to see if he would have a burst of a bigger personality come out. And no, he was just kind of like the same measured, prickly character throughout the entire season. I was hoping I was getting right based on how you put it together. Coming into an established group, and I'm... You know, we really don't know if this is how he interacts with anybody else, but it's certainly how he interacts with these people. And it could be a measure of protection. It could just be measure of ego, because even when he doesn't get particular references, it's the other people's fault that they did not choose a reference that he would be able to get. Dark Cloud, when you were reading through season four scripts, what were your first reactions? My first reaction was, uh, okay, well, finished reading this. Now I got to go start editing. 
which is not a bad thing because I help out with the editing for all of them. <laughs> so uh, also there is not any more edits than in previous years and probably less. I, I thought it was always interesting to see what suggestions Dan was going to take uh, since this is his baby. Uh, and um, one interesting thing I noticed in the drafts is that uh, in this one, it really seemed to mark Dan getting into the less censorship of language. In the earlier ones, the expression of disgust usually was done by reference to video games or movies uh, like Lord of the Rings or other less offensive ways. Here, occasionally, there's an F word. I sort of want to wonder what what you're thinking on that, Dan. The one that I'm thinking of, well, specifically, was the explosive conversation between Caleb and Avery. It was just kind of Caleb reaching his breaking point with this person, trying to converse with Avery in any other way, trying to get the point across without resorting to that language, to try to be aggressive otherwise, or passive-aggressive, just isn't getting the message across, and... I also wanted it to jump out that, wow, these characters don't swear, or at the very least, they don't swear on the show, to be jarring for the audience. Gurrenarg season for some people, I suppose. Okay, so this is basically everyone was very polite before, and um, it's just reached the breaking point here. Yeah, it, it, it's the real world one more turn edition, where yeah. everybody stops being polite and starts getting real. It, it only took four line. seasons to get there. <laughs> yeah. I just realized I completely dated myself with a, a, a really early 90s reference there. Aren't they still showing the real world? Probably. <laughs> I don't know. I remember from season three, you specifically, Jennifer, but then others chimed in as well that, you know, the episodes that were the most difficult to record to try to connect to when reading the scripts and voice acting them was the ones talking about the video games, that it just didn't seem to fit with the story. Like, okay, we get it, they're gamers, but when they're actually sitting there playing a game, talking about playing a game in an audio-only medium, whether you're familiar with the type of game or not, it just seemed really awkward. So I decided, okay, we've established a lot of these interests that these characters have. And again, let's try to amp up the angst, as it were. Well, I think my first reaction was probably the same as it was to an extent. Five appearances uh, followed very closely by, hey, at least I have more appearances than Bella. Score! <laughs> <laughs> Avery is not something that Dan generally sprinkles in as flavoring. She's definitely a main dish kind of character. <laughs> Bella and Avery teaming up. Oh, no one wanted them to realize that they could be worse human beings together than separate. <laughs> well, I had mentioned previously my um, initial reaction to the new character, Caden. Um, Hard to get a read on him at first. Max and Nora is another example of uh, characters that were like, you know, we're here in season four, but really we're here for setting up for stuff in the future. Leverage some relationship conflict for Gary and Riley, but will probably not come to a real head until next season, I would imagine. Also touching on uh, other changes to your writing, I felt like this time around, the plot points themselves tended to actually bleed across multiple episodes rather than being neatly encapsulated in them like in previous seasons. This script just read differently to me than previously, I guess. It does make the questions of what were your most favorite and least favorite episodes kind of hard to answer. <laughs> That's true. That's true. 
I will say that your query about uh, Riley and Gary and the subletting of Max and Nora's uh, rented townhouse was a note that I had specifically in terms of my first reactions. I love answering this question. Again, what were my first reactions when I first read the scripts? Well, I thought, slightly younger me, what were you thinking? No. Uh, but, before, <laughs> but before we get... <laughs> yeah, Dan thought, me? You're brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> this is first page or second page, giggling at Snowflake. <laughs> that was all of us. Ah, uh, there's just a lot of different things going on, you know, and then when I was reading about the thing where they were doing the subletting things like, oh, two people have different goals with this relationship. Uh Oh, that's 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 heading into troubled waters. Well, and it certainly seems like Riley volunteered this before talking to Gary about it. I loved how subtly and not so subtly Gary incorporated that evolution of communication line that Riley said, which so came to bite her back, especially when uh, Gary starts defending Hudson in terms of how he's communicating. You know, oh, geez, you wouldn't want to interfere with, you know, the evolution of his communication, would you? And the comment between, in the hushed tones there between Caleb and Carson, I think this is going to bring about the apocalypse. Yeah, that was one thing I actually didn't notice nearly as much until I actually listened to the episodes was, oh, and, oh. (laughs) <laughs> Gary's needling her now. <laughs> yeah, it just goes to show that age does not necessarily mean that you have to be mature. <laughs> oh, no, definitely, definitely not. Then Caden comes along and it's just like, oh, this guy, him talking to anybody is going to drive everyone's blood pressure up. Riley got the worst of that. And it sounds like Avery got the best of that, if you know what we're saying. <laughs> you know, it's Avery's I, cup of tea, apparently. I continue to be disappointed, Dan, that I have a decent voice for this kind of thing. And I didn't get to do any damn heavy breathing. I'm disappointed. Oh, wow. <laughs> that clearly I, means next I, season there'll be no chances. Because you're a damn tease. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this is PG. I think in by you know two seasons from now we'll have crept up towards an R. <laughs> as long as Dan doesn't break out the leather jackets again. <laughs> we talked about Carson. Like, what's, what's going on with Carson? Back to his alcoholic vice. Maybe that's not going to be so much an issue now that he's removed himself from the situation. But speaking of the brother's dork, Caleb is back to his gambling ways, now having it taken online. So that's also unresolved. How might that manifest itself in season five? Bella. Was Bella not really looking to return to her old habits? When she showed up to Hudson's house in, in episode 412, she's gone cross-country. She was rejected by Carson. Her claim of concern that the reason she's there, well, I want to know about the future of One More Term Solutions, seems pretty dubious. Just a bit. And Hudson's just like, I'm not going down that road again. Get out. Which seems like, wow, did Hudson have a moment of character growth over Bella? Nah, let's not go that far. <laughs> <laughs> we need to test for repeatability for that to be true. Hmm. Now that One More Turn Solutions, you know, we get to the end of the season and it's being co-owned and co-managed by Hudson and Riley. This mixing of family and business proved to be too much for Caleb and Carson, and pretty sure they had a better relationship going into this business arrangement than Hudson and Riley do. So this also seems like a really bad idea and people are not learning from other people's mistakes. Maybe that's why Caleb gave his part of One More Turn Solutions, which Hudson had given him, to Riley to screw both of them over. That Caleb is really not over Riley rejecting him, and of course Hudson's just a dick in general, so that would be great to annoy Hudson at the same time. It was a screw all y'all move. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> According to Dan, it is. So apparently he knows things the rest of us don't. And since mm-hmm. he writes it, sure, why not? Maybe that's why he's sticking around, so Caleb can witness it firsthand and enjoy it. Well, he's currently sticking around because he's helping Nora to the hospital, but past that, we don't know. Right. 
know, what else do Bella and Avery have in store? They've already got Max and Nora's building. You know, they assume the mortgage. There was the lying about it, and it kind of seemed like Bella didn't think too much about Avery doing that, because Bella discloses to Hudson, like, you know, it was a wrong number. And there really wasn't anything untoward going on, and she kind of leveraged that, knowing how Max was stressed about his quote-unquote very pregnant wife. And it's like, you're pregnant or you're not. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Well, when I uh, first read the script, and I think it was the first draft, I was under the impression that Hudson was actually playing video games with um, Caleb, and I, and I thought that was a nice growth for him. But. Carson had gotten him to agree to play, and Carson won. Which means that Carson is the better player, but seeing as how Hudson had probably never played the game before... It's not saying much. Yeah, we don't really know how good of a player Carson is. He's not as good as either Caleb or Max. Pedro? Or even Pedro as well, yeah, because they're in a competitive league for that. But it is interesting that, yes, Hudson would agree. Although Hudson did say in that, as we described it in the Season 4 episode recording, Dinner Party from Hell, that Hudson said, Look, I'm trying to be civil to people. Carson is my business partner now. You're a friend with Max. Max and Nora are kind of, you know, quote-unquote, package deal. They're friends with Riley, and there's Caleb, so I'm trying to be civil. Not trying to be their friend. It also seems kind of a very honest moment. Well, I mean, Hudson did have them all in his house for dinner. I mean, it could have been set up to try to poison them all, but he didn't do that. He's not this time. Three episodes into season six, they all just fall over dead. <laughs> <laughs> Rip. Shakespearean ending. Like, yeah, I hope you use better references in the future. It's like, whoa. Like, yeah, that was a good line. You know, why don't you look Doggy at your... Doggy agrees. Yeah. They're yeah. wacky. Again, I am being not strategic at all when I ask this question. Which season four episode is your favorite and why? Blower. <laughs> okay, well, as I said, it's kind of tough because of the way you structured the script this time. So I'll say, um, if you don't mind, my favorite arc in there was um, the part of the season where you kind of got into Carson and Caleb backsliding into their addictions. It uh, was honest about the fact that these are things that they are still struggling with, that uh, they are actually addictive personalities, that uh, they will respond negatively when stress gets too much for them, but they didn't spend half the season chewing the scenery over either. It's just this is part of these characters, this is what they're dealing with, you know, take them as they are kind of thing. I, I like that quite a lot. So it seemed like that their personality, which was previously established, it was being consistent. Right. That they were managing it, and he wanted the audience to know it was happening, but it didn't become a C-plot. Yeah, they didn't just suddenly become the addict, you know what I mean? Right, and it also kind of goes to, as much as they're managing it, or trying to manage it, they both recognize that they have this respect of vices and they have to stop, but at some point, it's like, I can't deal with that right now without doing this? Mm -hmm. Okay. Does anyone else uh, approach this, like Blower, in terms of a favorite arc? Or was it also more, again, a favorite episode? I'm a little partial to being introduced as a character because it gives me a chance to kind of be in the story rather than just listening to it. <laughs> that's just a general thing, like, oh, hi, you people. Kind of thing. <laughs> so that's my two cents. I think my favorite would be the last episode where Carson has his little monologue, uh, Dear John, letter to everybody. Ah, uh, yes, the uh, final captain's log. Those are fun. It's probably the most prominent throwback and reference again to anything else outside of the story in terms of pop culture and science fiction, but it just seemed fitting that that's how 
Carson would communicate this. He wanted to get the message across. And it is referenced that he made another recording for Nora. The messages he left, I thought it was an interesting choice. And what does that say about Carson? And what does that say about Caleb and Nora in terms of Carson's relationship? I mean, it makes sense that he would leave a message for Caleb. I mean, it's his brother. But then out of everyone else, leaves a message for Nora. And we don't know exactly what it is that he said. It's just referenced. So that'll be an interesting, I guess, sequel big there to see what happens in the next season, to know what that message is. Well, I liked episode three, the interview. Were you in your mind just trying to say, okay, that line, this is what they said, but this is what they really mean? Is that kind of why you liked it? Well, I was thinking it could have been a good beginning of a horror podcast. It was, <laughs> it was, it was very soap opera-esque. Uh, well, I mean, anything involving Avery is a horror, so sure, I get that. Wow. <laughs> I mean, creepy all the way throughout. It was it was very thematic. It was very dramatic. I thought would bring in listeners and everything. I think you did a good job writing that, Dan. And um, I just thought that was a key episode there. It basically made me want to uh, hear more. Great acting on uh, part of Avery and Caden. Avery was kind of thrown off. She's always in command of a situation. She takes charge. She reads people and she says things in a certain way at a certain time. And she cuts people down and she gets what she wants in most of those conversations. And I felt like that she was really challenged by Caden because Caden was not responding emotionally. It's like, he's staying so logical and calm and being resistant to like any trying to end that she was trying to give. Sure, it was tense. The whole dinner party arc thing, because that just kept getting more and more hilarious. <laughs> not if you were actually there and you were say Riley, but you know, from the listener's perspective, that was probably really entertaining. Oh, I got a little sound effect with that. Ting! Indeed. Uh, so episodes 401 and 404. Yeah, so well, you kind of parallel what Blower said a little bit in terms of, you know, the arc. That was more about a continuation of the same scene spread across a couple of episodes, but you kind of paired them together as a favorite. It difficult, or if not difficult, then it undercuts just how good those two episodes are if you try to identify... Yes, exactly. Uh, try to identify... <laughs> what? Ding! I'll cop to 403 but not maybe for the reason that anyone else would expect i was unemployed at the time and so i was going through that whole interview dance um at the time oh and i'm looking at this going oh my gosh yeah i think i've interviewed with this bitch before okay so it was kind of nice to be on something other than the receiving end of that particular interaction, even if it was only to act. <laughs> it's nice to be able to step into the shoes of other people to either, oh, I want to try to understand this person and sympathize or just sympathize more with myself because this is a heck of a lot better <laughs> than what it is that I had to go through. Yeah, Dan, you had no idea that you were helping me work through some psychodrama, but, you know, it was refreshing. <laughs> well, I'm glad I was able to do that. As I've said before on this show, being a dramedy, so comedy and drama combined, the characters are meant to be relatable. And if they're not relatable, their personalities, then hopefully they're situations. And ideally, the situations and the personalities that you see yourself or you see some other people. And it kind of helps you work through, could I have handled that better? Or... Was there something else that I could have done or could have said? Or, you know what? I could still do this and that to try to remediate that. Or, my gosh, I'm glad I didn't blow it as bad as these people did, because that was really stupid. <laughs> you know? 408, the Caleb Max episode. Oh, yes. Okay, so my favorite was 413. You've got this interplay between Caleb, Gary, and Nora. 
tying together not only a number of plot lines from the season, but also a number of the relationships that have run through the series to date. It's not usually you're going to have a scene with those three people, or if you do have those three people, they're interacting with each other through other characters. And in fact, during the season four episode recording, Jennifer, you said that this episode, in particular the last couple of lines or the last few lines, was emblematic of the series, quote unquote. Pretty much, yeah. And I didn't ask you at that time, I think in part because, okay, we got, uh, you know, it's like, oh, it's already been, you know, two plus hours, we got to wrap this up. Why did you say that? And, and do you still think that? It sounds like you still agree with that, even months later, that that's still true. Well, yeah. Um, and I think I can see that just because it's Nora being practical, it's Gary being... <laughs> I don't want to say venal, but, you know, concerned with things that other people could give a crap less about. And Caleb just being like, do, 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 do. Why am I here? Why do I care about any of you people? (laughs) So would you say that perhaps Nora is thinking, I already have a husband, as in a husband that does not focus on the proper things. I don't need you to, Gary. Not focusing on the proper things. (laughs) Why do you care about these things? Yeah. Well, and I think, too, that she may be thinking, good Lord, and I think this goes to why she might not have said anything about twins. You know, one baby is enough. Two babies at the same time is a huge deal, even in the best of circumstances. But Nora is surrounded by children. So I think she's probably terrified that she's going to basically have to raise two babies around a bunch of other babies. You had also said during the season four commentary, the notion of Avery and babysitter discuss. (laughs) I don't think Nora is likely to see that this is a solution. I could actually see something like one of the old, old school Donald Duck cartoon kind of things where Huey, Dewey and Louie are wreaking all manner of havoc while Donald's been tied to the chair. And I could absolutely see a pair of twins tying her up because she doesn't know any better. Um, and because toddlers are evil um, <laughs> and evil in a way that Avery hasn't been in touch with in a long time because they're pure id. I mean, she's a lot of id, but I don't know that she's pure id, you know, <laughs> all I hear is one of Max and Nora's kids being like, Auntie Avery. <laughs> I mean, there's alliteration. That's all it's got going for it, and that's not enough. Uh, I think. Well, no. Instead, you can use Riley as. Well, that would be a better choice. You wanted eccentric geniuses. I guess the only problem with that is, from Nora's perspective, if I ask Riley to babysit, she might bring Gary along. Which actually, I would be kind of amused by because I could really see the dynamic of this one since Gary has already had a child. I would imagine him be the type of like, uh, okay, let them get under the sink. I don't care. We have a hospital not five minutes away sort of thing. (laughs) They'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, let them learn the hard way. He'd be the cranky old dude who would be charmed by some wee little girl with, you know, ringlets and suddenly wrapped around somebody's finger. I, you know, I don't even necessarily see him being particularly cranky around kids so much as just accepting of the fact that this is children. Oh, wow. Well, I could see Riley giving Gary a shot. Like, this is your chance to raise a child right. Help raise a child right. 
<laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah, and Here's then the smug ensues as everybody who has yet to have children try their best, and it just completely doesn't freaking work. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I, I could see a story arc like that past the baby. Right. <laughs> Between Max and Nora, Nora's mother is there. And the question is, if Nora's mother's still going to stick around after the twins are born, because, air quotes, now the work really begins, and we know that there is this friction between Max and his mother-in-law, so it would be just helpful to not have the mother-in-law in the picture. I'm sure this is going through Nora's head, because she has to analyze these things, because as, as you said, Jennifer, she's surrounded by children, including her own husband. Mm-hmm. As well-meaning and as intentioned as he is. And Max distracted Nora just long enough to get her knocked up with twins, so, you know. Why is Riley so bad at managing her electronic security? Because Avery's like, thank you for not changing the (laughs) password still. I think she's the absent-minded professor type. In terms of least favorite episode, I'll start with this one because it kind of comes down to, and not to toot my own horn, but I guess I'm going to kind to, I had a difficult time choosing one episode, but I'm going to cite 410, Shoe Drop. I know that's the big revelation episode where Nora at the end drops the bombshell like Carson's gone. And the reason I say that is because I think I was trying to balance too many characters. There are eight characters in that episode. It is tied with episode 113 and 213 for having eight characters. And trying to have them all be meaningful and do something, I think it just got too busy. That's all. I can see where you're coming from on that particular episode. For me, I think you're at your best on the writing when you have two to three people in the room, especially if you can get down to two people arguing about a third person and have the third person kind of wander in. That's the kind of thing I like to see in this kind of scripting. Well, and if it makes you feel any better, uh, you, you can even see this in, in major movies where you have a cast that gets too big and too busy and the plot starts spinning its wheels and going exactly nowhere. So tough thing that even professional writers can't get consistently. Did anyone else choose 410 as their least favorite episode? No? No. Nope. Mine, probably 402, simply because of the chair squeak is freaking horrifying. <laughs> and you play it like seven times in quick succession. It's like, what the hell, man? Hails <laughs> on a chalkboard or something. Hudson oh, needs to figure okay. out how to properly put movers on his chairs. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say 409, mainly because we get the whole round robin of, of introductions and specifically uh, Hudson and Caden and everything that should have been a, a real... Dun, 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 kind of moment is just <laughs> sad trombone. You know, it's, it's the little sad trombone noise. Wah, wah. And why would he believe her that Caden is his brother? It took an interchange that I thought should have had a little more pizzazz and made me just kind of wonder. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, Hudson does say, still deciding whether I want to believe you're telling us if it's true or not, Riley, but I presume you have evidence to back it up. Although at the same time, he does start interacting with Caden like, yeah, what Riley is saying is truthful. But I kind of took it as the reason Hudson is giving it any kind of credence is because it's his stepsister. And he wants to believe her. He wants to believe family. And also, the perhaps maybe for Hudson, the notion of having more family than, quote-unquote, just Riley. 
right? Because his adopted parents are dead, or his biological parents are dead. There's no other discussion about any other siblings or cousins or aunts or uncles. So his only family is Riley, and he kind of screwed that up, right? As much as it seems that Riley's forgiven him. Yes, Riley is the bearer of the news, but she's not the originator of it. It's true. At this point in time, certain Hudson and Caden don't know that the information came from Avery. All they've heard from is Riley giving this information. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And, and my estimation here may suffer from dramatic irony in the sense that we know things the audience doesn't. The person who does know where it came from is Gary. Right. There was that earlier part about where, Mackie, you had touched on it, that there was, we talked about the whole, let's sublet Max and Nora's place. And Riley said, look, can we just set aside that conversation? I need you to vet these documents. So Gary knows about this before either Caden or Hudson knows. And Caden, and I would say in particular, Hudson doesn't know that Riley went to him first with this information, even though it was about, yeah, the vetting process, and guess what, Hudson? I'm in a relationship with this guy. Yeah, and this is where then it gets a little soapier than maybe even one more turn needed to be. (laughs) I don't know. It just, that revelation, I thought, it just seemed the two of them were a bit more credulous than I would have expected them to be. That's all. Fair enough. Given that we know more about Hudson, I'm kind of not surprised, again, as to why he's kind of taking it to heart. Okay. But yeah, Caden, especially from the very beginning of the episode, Caden's like, you know, I don't normally agree to meet strange women in their places of business. (laughs) (laughs) See, the way I read that line is in their places of business. Like, he doesn't mind strange women in an encounter, just not where they work. Oh, normally I don't agree to meet strange women in their places of business, but you went to a job interview with Avery and, and you know, look how that turned out. <laughs> exactly. You've got to be a certain person to uh, find a lover from an interview. You've got to be a certain kind of philosophy to your, to your life. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm drawing from experience. That's actually happened to me. I've interviewed and then had a date instead of getting the job. No way. <laughs> wow. No. Actually, it's, it's rare, but it happens. Happened to my friend, too. Wow. Yeah, I don't think I have a least favorite. Uh, I think I liked them pretty equally. But your least favorite arc is probably, ununderstandably, that Carson's gone. Well, now that you mention it, I guess if we're getting really into least favorite arc, all the legalese, backstabbings, and dealings, and stuff, and uh, anything that doesn't really have to do with people dealing with each other rather than these uh, business stuff. Yeah, I, I guess that would be my least favorite arc then, just because not into that kind of story, but the rest of it is fine. I think the series has come a long way yeah. with the balance between the legalese and the non-legalese as compared to, say, season one, which was, of course, fully embedded in all of that. Uh, and I think we've also gotten a little way from the gaming, specifically. Yeah, I'd like to go back to that. It was a balance. An easy Perfect. thing you could use is uh, if you have the character not be present for a while, you need that for the story. Say they're off at a convention. Yeah. He's a who gives a crap a con. What? That's not the name. I don't remember the name. <laughs> Dark Cloud, least favorite episode. Episode one, probably. Sorry, Dan. All right. What did I do or not do this time? <laughs> <laughs> it was just two thoughts about it. Um, one of them was maybe a little bit too much establishing shot and less action. The second thing was a bit concerned that Max and Nora might be heading for a divorce. You know, their interactions keep being more hostile. 
you know, I actually had that thought throughout the entirety of the, my first read of the script was that, wow, this marriage is really, really badly on the rocks. It certainly is frustration and anger and perhaps a loss of trust in some respects. And you kind of wonder if this is the kind of interaction they're having in front of other people. Bingo. Yeah, I can see that. You know, I'd like to compliment you on writing a uh, married couple because I think there's not a lot of that in other shows and whatnot. They tend to make it like the end goal of the show is to have this couple married. But in the meantime, we're going to do seven seasons of them. Will they, won't they crap? So it's nice to have a story that can focus on married couples and the issues they go through. You know, and, Mm -hmm. and in this case, it's them dealing with a uh, mother-in-law that's perhaps uh, not the most um, congenial person there, and it's creating drama and stress and issues for those two. Yeah, yeah. Or when you do see uh, like a sitcom married couple, they're at each other's throats half the time, but it's forgotten about within the next episode, and their normal is just bickering and implying that the other person's an idiot. Although I'm not married myself and I'm not currently in a relationship, when I think about the relationships that I have had and relationships I've seen other people have and do have, money, having that conversation between the two, and when Max and Nora are talking about like, hey, we can't afford to be in our rented townhouse, we've got to sublet this, we've got to live above the laser hair removal studio, our space is downsizing, yet our family is upsizing as it were, like that is stressful. And so when that was introduced early on, I was kind of using that as a basis in terms of, yes, like I know Max and Nora, like it's stressful, like she's pregnant. It's a question of maybe they weren't having those conversations about money. Are they going to be able to survive not having one child, but two children born? And it's (laughs) surprise, but also the fact this new living arrangement. And then, my gosh, does Nora even know that Max agreed to hand over their mortgage to Avery and Bella? I mean, oh. (laughs) Yeah, it probably wasn't smart. It is a very real question, though, the future of the relationship. Money and children go hand in hand because children are expensive. And it it occurs to me, too, that mother-in-law being in the picture, if she's not a nice person, along with being an extra body in a smaller place that they're not used to. So, yeah. Yes, tense times ahead. And when I think about the tension with Max in particular, with Nora on the phone telling Carson, you know, if your wife ever gets pregnant, you should take like a long vacation. Like, how long do you reckon, husband? Nine months about ought to do it, wife. It's like, damn. Yeah. I thought that... you were going to say 18 years. I don't know that there was anything I particularly disliked, disliked. I don't know. I honestly couldn't tell you. I don't think there was anything that sore thumbs stuck out for me like that, like everybody else has had ones. Well, of course, the default answer should be episode 413, because that means the season is over. (laughs) (laughs) But that has funny conversations in a car with a pregnant lady who's about to give birth. That can't be a bad episode. It's actually kind of weird because uh, my least favorite episode is also contains some of my favorite things to see out of Hudson. So, you know, bear that in mind. Okay. Episode 412 was actually my least favorite. Despite the fact that Hudson actually had some really standout moments in that interaction, it was kind of painful for me to see Bella lower herself that much. Ah, essentially give up power? Not just to like give up power, but like up until now, she's known what she's wanted. She's gone out and gotten it, chasing the one that got away across the country and then giving up super early and then coming back yet again and getting shut down 
very hard and taking it in a way that I'm not used to seeing out of her. It was just, I'm not used to seeing her fall face first into the mud like that. I actually cringed a little bit uh, watching that happen. Oh, he does feel like the disappointed father. That's that's how much into the role he was. <laughs> well, yeah. well and see, that's the thing too is that it's, uh, Bella is not necessarily a character I'm super thrilled with. With you know, I mean, for understandable reasons, she's meant to be very antagonistic. But she was honestly kind of pathetic in that episode, which is was really weird to see. I purposely wrote Bella to be pathetic in this situation. And now this might not change being your least favorite episode, but Bella realizes, yeah, Carson's the one that got away. She shows up, she makes this big, in her mind, this big gesture. I finally get it, Carson. Now, we don't know how the conversation went down, admittedly, but it sounds like, again, Bella made her case, and Carson said, nope, maybe too little too late, or some such. Now she's falling back into those old habits that she and Hudson said were not good for them. Similar to how Carson's gone back to drinking and Kayla went back to gambling in these very stressful situations for assorted reasons, their individual circumstances, the relationships between the characters and whatnot. The thing is, of all the places, of all the people she could have gone to, Hudson was the worst person to go to. I don't know why she was looking for support or what it was that she was looking for, but maybe she also felt that Hudson would call her on her bullshit more than anyone else, or at the very least call it out in a way that she would listen to, because they agreed that they were better off not being together. I mean, maybe, but that's requiring me to get into somebody's head in a way that the script won't let me do. Well, that's true. And I think that describes maybe a little too much self-reflection to Bella. I'm not sure that she's capable of that level of introspection. Mm. I think she's quite capable. I just think she chooses not to do it from Hudson. Probably the most honest and direct and helpful he's ever been with anyone in his entire life and may ever be again. And it might have ended up being a good thing. I think it was also a good thing for Hudson because he, he did not take advantage. I mean, Bella is clearly vulnerable. That's why it's so weird to call it my least favorite episode, because on the one hand, element, character maturity, you know, things you're not used to seeing out of him. <laughs> right, it's um, in spine. <laughs> right, right. But on the other hand, you, I saw a lot of character deterioration from a character I really wasn't expecting it to come from, I suppose, is, is um, why I object to it. Well, she's having a low moment, and people get that in their lives. Well, you try one thing and you fail. You try something else and you fail again, even if it wasn't the best idea to try that second thing, you yeah, know. Yeah, I, I agree with Mackie. I mean, it's like nobody is perfect. Everybody's going to have their low moments and they're going to do things that they're not proud of that they later regret or get upset. Because uh, I've, I've noticed that with some people that might criticize stories and stuff. It's like, well, this character shouldn't have done that. I thought, well, you know, sometimes people make mistakes, you know, and sometimes oh, people don't make the right choice because that's just how life is. Oh, of course. And, that, and that's why I did open the discussion by emphasizing, you know, Bella is actually not usually a character I'm all that crazy about but I really didn't see this in her character. Because this is not her. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you disappoint me, but at least you're in control. At least you've got it together and you know what it is that you're about. Right. And what's this pathetic floundering? <laughs> right, exactly. I'm used to disliking her, but at least having the admiration that she has the strength of her convictions. This was... Ugh, really not not so she didn't so take much. her failure well and failed harder <laughs> uh, yeah that that's one way of putting it and it's interesting also that you said it as your least favorite episode because if i had to come up with a runner-up for favorite episode it would be this episode because well, for these two characters it's just like 
boom. <laughs> well, and I, I totally get that because, I mean, especially the guy who voices Hudson, he <laughs> I really liked the show that Hudson put on for this episode. So that's why I admit this is kind of a weird choice for me, because half the episode I actually liked a lot of. I'm just going to jump ahead briefly here. Blah, were you going to say that your least favorite character was Bella and cite this episode again? <laughs> no, actually. I, oh. I'm actually going to cite a character that I think I'm going to be the only one making the argument for it in this season. Ask the question to somebody else because this is going to go bad quickly. Well, worse quickly. <laughs> I thought I already did. <laughs> We're keeping it PG-45. It's okay. <laughs> Favorite character in season four and why? Before we give reasons, let's just have a tally. Let's see if we can have any kind of consensus. Uh, this it's hard because I mean normally I'm a big big fan of Riley, but she didn't get that much airtime this season to have the strong showings I'm used to out of her. Like she opened the season strong, but didn't have much throughout the rest of it. I felt so <sighs> tie between Hudson and Caleb. Avery was entertaining. Um, I'm going to say Caden, and I think probably for the same reason that Avery would, in the sense that he's a new toy. <laughs> <laughs> Uber Caleb. This is hard to pick one sometimes. But I guess my favorite. I I, I always like Max. I, I always find him entertaining, and um, so seeing him get a little stressed out in this season was very interesting. Sorry, the only reason I'm laughing is as soon as you said that, I heard someone in the background go, "Oi, no!" <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, that wasn't just me imagining. Okay. Ah, uh, it starts the Kate and Avery combo because that's just like, what is going on? Are you sure you really want an answer to that question? Uh, no, not really. But you, that would you know, severely it, it change our ratings. <laughs> it's kind of like you look at the personality one, the personality other, and you put them two together, and that's not what I was exactly expecting to happen. Well, I mean, it sounds a bit uh, picking my own character, I guess, but uh, Caden and Avery, because they offer something kind of new. It's a new relationship, so it adds some, a breath of fresh air to the show for the season. My favorite character, I'm going to echo you, Scott. My favorite character was also Max. Awesome. Seeing as how we're already talking about Caden and Avery. I don't know. I guess I enjoy the kind of sarcasm that he brings in the sense it's completely unironic. So, you know, the whole literal minded to a fault. In my head canon, she almost always has her hair up. I can see that. Yeah, I can see that Control. too. I kind of imagine the first bit of that interaction that we didn't see but only heard about involves her doing something desperately 80s, like taking off a pair of glasses and removing a hair clip. Exactly. Also, generally, the voice acting is getting better this season. I think everybody's settling into the roles a little bit more, kind of headcanoning a bit of what's going on in them. Mm Mm-hmm. And that just creates a more warm, authentic kind of emotive sense. And that's really hard to do in any kind of acting, is to get that emotive sense into a character. When we have no eyesight and body language to play off right. when we're recording these yeah. episodes, that that's, right. that is difficult. Definitely. Which, yes, there is a reason to have more heavy breathing, because then we can hear that. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, I've got to say, Blauer, this is the first time that anyone has cited Hudson yeah. as a favorite character. And honestly, for good reason. (laughs) (laughs) Is it because of 412? I gotta go back to 412. Yes, but it wasn't just 412. Okay. 
in previous seasons, I shared Gary's intense dislike for the character. He's a disloyal twerp. He had showed minimal character development previously. He kind of just seemed to be a dupe that hung on the latest antagonistic plan. And this season, not only did he finally get some good lines, not only did he finally grow a damn spine and do it in a way that wasn't necessarily at someone else's expense, he just generally developed as a character, in some ways as a decent human being, in other ways just finding some roots and telling some people to fuck off who needed it. I agree with Chris. Honestly, I don't think any of the other characters did in this season. Other characters had big, splashy plot moments and and, um, story uh, to themselves, but Hudson was the one who actually showed that he was growing up, and I don't think that many of the other characters really did. As you're describing it, you're making me think of the interaction between Avery and Bella in Episode 4 or 5 Alliance, Mm -hmm. when Bella's like, you know, if it's deviousness you seek, why not Hudson? His lying, and then Avery's like, has been outweighed by his renewal of looking out for his little stepsister's best interests. Right. He seems to finally be learning that my efforts to look out for number one have mostly just gotten me into shitty relationships and burned a lot of bridges. There's the Bella relationship going away again. He still talks to Gary. Why would he still do that? It's, it's kind of weird. I mean, those two go out of their way. Not to find each other, but as soon as they are in a room, they're just like jab, 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 jab. Because mm-hmm. there's a point where Caleb says, wow, the fact that Hudson and Gary are both agreeing on the same thing at the same time makes me think I actually should do this and listen to the recording that Carson made. And then as soon as that happens, then there's the whole pops and parasite back and forth, which is one of my favorite recurring jabs. <laughs> well, and that, that's the other thing, too, uh, is that, you know, while he still dislikes the people he dislikes, while he still stoops to some immature levels he is at the very least able to be in the same room as somebody and have an agreement even if he doesn't like the person and this is a trait that he had not shown previously now you had also cited caleb as well that you had kind of said favorite character hudson and caleb so is it a similar reason he got fleshed out in a different way uh like i mentioned one of my favorite things about this season was the arc of addiction that both of the brothers had, and it made Caleb a little bit more real for me. He also just had some good lines. He had some good patter back and forth with most of the cast. So he was just an enjoyable character to have on camera. I know, Uber, you had cited him as your favorite character. I know that you were happier with Caleb this season as compared to last season, because he was actually doing things, and he was, quote-unquote, in the plot. It didn't seem like he was on the periphery just waiting to get the hell out of Dodge. So would you say that your reasons for citing him as your favorite are similar to Blower's? Yeah, pretty much spot on. The fact that he had more growth and was actually more than just, you know, a snarky face in the crowd. It was nice having a chance to actually show the character doing things rather than just taking pot shots. He still had the good lines, he still had the banter, but he also, you know, showed that he was a character and not just a running punchline. So, Scott, why did you cite Max as your favorite character in Season 4? Usually he's very entertaining. He's kind of the comic relief, but in a, uh, I think, a lovable, believable way. And in this one, we're stretching out his character by having him under stress, and so he's a little bit less of his more cheerful self. I'd say other than his contribution to the strain in his marriage, he did emerge as a character that develops to the point where crisis situation 
with the exception of his own crisis, crisis in other people's lives, he really seemed to come into his own, like you said. And again, I'm going to end up citing 408 here again, when Carson expresses this concern about Caleb. Okay, so that was a little more from the episodes before. He not only agrees to go find Caleb physically, but he says, okay, I'm going to assess his psychological state, because Carson wants a very brief report, right, about what's going on with Caleb. Should I be concerned? And Max tries to get Caleb to see how by hurting himself, beating up on himself, this, well, I like the irony of my past meeting my presence, and I'm just going to go into my own little gambling world here so I can immerse myself in my misery, because if I'm going to be miserable, like I already am, I might as well be miserable on my own terms. Max is like, Caleb, you do realize that you're hurting those around you just as much as yourself, and probably even more so, because people know that you're going back to this vice. Bella texting Hudson, take me back! No, that's probably not happening. Hudson texting back, hell no, woman. (laughs) Didn't I block this number? (laughs) (laughs) Least favorite character. I'm going to start here. Darkest Onion, you're not going to like my answer. Um. (laughs) It's all right, feel free. I can take criticism. <laughs> Caden. The reason I say that is it's already been cited in part where everything is so literal for him. And sometimes that can be funny. And it is funny to a point, but it gets irritating really, really quickly. Caden is very quick to point out, hmm, I'm not understanding your reference. You should do better. Yet, exactly, he doesn't seem to recognize that that's a two-way street. And then when people get agitated with him. He's just kind of like, okay, you should not be agitated with me. You should be responding to what it is that I am looking for, because what I expect is the way this interaction should go. Mm -hmm. Very busy talking at people and not to people. So he's very intellectually intelligent. Life is about building relationships. Honestly, the Avery and Kane relationship isn't going to be anything deeper than the physical. And at some point, it's going to be enough. Or the people around you are just going to be, my gosh, how can I be with this person? How can I have any kind of relationship with this person? When this seems to be the kind of the only relationship that he can seem to have. So unless I'm interested in sleeping with Caden, I guess we have no relationship at all. Well, well, better yet, I think maybe a, a more interesting way for that to flame out would be for him to find a new toy. Because I'm not sure that we've really seen what Avery's capable of. Another thing to bear in mind, too, is that the dude's just 22 years old. Which I don't know how most of you guys were at 22, but I don't think uh, introspective. (laughs) Yeah, you probably weren't looking for much in your relationships at that age. (laughs) Like, she appears to like me. Let's do this at 20. Right. Plus, Avery's doing that whole Mrs. Robinson thing, and, well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Jesus. Yeah, Yeah. interesting, Dan, you brought that up, and I think I had Kate and his my least favorite but for just a slightly different reason that we didn't really get a good look at who he is ideally next season dan figures out how to flesh out his character since he's a little know-it-all twerp i could see him playing online trivia oh yeah trivia crack or something yes (laughs) i think it was the type of person that when he eats a meal food can't touch each other and as soon as the food touches each other on the plate it's thrown out like it's ruined i've known people like that So in his apartment, does he have his own spot? Because it seems like you're working really hard at writing Sheldon here. 
Yeah, we're. I was thinking Dexter. Group. I was thinking Monk. <laughs> <laughs> we're all on different pages. Actually, obsessive yeah. compulsive. Okay. <laughs> Right. So, so Uber has also agreed with my least favorite character choice, and I sense Blower's about to disagree with both of us. That works. Uh, yeah, like I said, I think I'm going to be the only one citing this character as the least favorite. I did not like Nora this season at all. Max seems to be getting meaner, so least. I am not a fan of Max this season. Interesting. Am I the only person in the cast who's had Nora's experience of having been pregnant? I think so. I'm trying to decide between Gary or Riley because I can't just rem- pick both their package deal. True that. <laughs> they didn't leave much of an impression on me because I'm trying to remember what exactly they did this season. That's a bad sign. I can definitely see that Gary was very much a background player this season. I can totally understand why somebody would come away from this season kind of feeling like, why were you two here again? You know. Hudson seemed to be a bit nicer this season, so I thought he was developing. Caleb and Carson were kind of drifting apart, and Carson just leaves. Avery and Bella have their own thing going on, and, and then we have Caden coming in for Avery, and the uh, marriage drama with um, Nora and Max, and so it's like they're didn't left for uh, Gary and Riley. Mm-hmm. I have to go with Scott. Funny as the sarcastic snowflake was, that was also passive-aggressive. Yeah. They are passive-aggressive all over each other, and it's not charming. It's like, why are you two still in this relationship? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then trying to move forward with, like, moving in and stuff. I'm like, like going, no. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen this before. It doesn't go well. <laughs> yeah, <Nope>. exactly. <laughs> Gosh, you two know Bella and Hudson, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really? Well, the same thing with a married couple. It just doesn't really gel well with me because I, I just a trope I see too often. Married couple in trouble. I understand that, like I said earlier, it's necessary kind of for drama. But it, I've always just dreamed of seeing a married couple. It's like, oh, we're married. That has to be part of the story, not a part of contention in the story. Okay, so you're Max and Nora as a combined deal. So we've got we've got three distinct camps for the dislike. We've already talked about Caden, and I know we've already talked a little bit about Gary and Riley, and actually Max and Nora earlier on we were talking about first reactions to scripts, so let's just start with anything else with regards to Max and Nora, either that we haven't talked about or you want to bring back to help emphasize why they're your least favorite characters or character. I just thought Uh, Max was really snarky and bitter in a way that wasn't particularly attractive, given that she is the human incubator to his spawn. I try not to let my own experiences color my reactions too much. But yeah, some of the stuff I was seeing from him about, oh, you know, taking the long vacation when your wife gets pregnant, you know, full disclosure here, Jordan is not the father of my child. My first husband was kind of a jerk to the point that uh, when I was being taken to the hospital for contractions that were five minutes apart, it was a friend who did it instead of him because he was off chasing something he shouldn't have been chasing. So, yeah. So this is striking a little close to home for you then, huh? Yeah, so that interaction specifically at the end, that was maybe a little more triggery for me than Dan intended it to. So, you know, there was an emotional heft there that I brought part of that to the table with me. It's going back to the financial aspect again. To me, this was the manifestation of Max dealing with the financial plus the pregnancy plus in-law. 
we saw Nora also being the Sir Derps a lot and Miss Hot and Cold, and it's like, wow, Nora, like, what's going on with you? Again, because, uh, Blauer, you cited her as your least favorite character. I'm writing them both, essentially. What is a worst version of themselves? Sure. Like, their strength has pretty well always been each other. Mm-hmm. Essentially, what made them strong in seasons one to three is now making them weak in season four. They were the problem solvers. They were the sounding boards for different characters at different times. And now I kind of look at it like they need that. And if anyone is paying attention to it, none of the other characters at any point say like, Nora, are you all right? Max? The majority of the characters in this cast are very self-absorbed. They may be very likable people. They may be people you wouldn't mind hanging out with, having a beer with. But at the end of the day, most of them are looking out for number one, even if they're not consciously being a jerk about it. Right. There are a lot of team players. Right. And that's what I think a lovely, functional, happy marriage all of a sudden get turned on its head into bitter, ugly, probable incoming divorce. And we've seen this show before, either a literal show or actually I've seen a marriage deteriorate like this. Financial problems and kids are like the two killers of marriages. You know, sorry, guys, but the stats don't lie. Max and Nora spent most, if not all, of their time dealing with their relationship drama and their impending child drama. But Max also had things happening on the screen that weren't directly related to Nora being in the room with him, if that makes any sense. He had some plot happening besides the marriage falling apart and the kids that are coming. Nora, on the other hand, pregnancy is tough. It's hard to feel like you're being unsupported in your marriage and in your pregnancy. But when Nora shows up in the script and is actually on air, you know that the mood is immediately going to the plummet. There's going to be some vicious, nasty commentary and just channeling fury and snark in a mean-spirited way. As you're describing that, I'm thinking of the dinner party from hell between 401 and 404. And when Nora shows up, the tone shifts. Yeah. I can see that because then people are reacting to what Nora is saying and talking to Nora that way in the response. And then they start interacting with each other that way. That it definitely goes from the occasional, haha, you're a dumbass, to like, no, like, yeah, Nora's right. Screw you and screw you and screw you. Right. And like the dinner party was the most dramatic example of that. But that happened every time Nora showed up. That sucks a lot. And it's not necessarily Nora's fault. But it's hard to separate the two when it was happening every time she showed up. (laughs) Yeah, you can understand in some respects why she's a little annoyed at Max with all the things they're having with the mother-in-law with her being pregnant. But then she's lashing out at everybody else. And it's just like, whoa. Like I said, I get it. I totally understand. But it doesn't make for enjoyable listening. So it's more of a I'm critiquing it from a listener perspective and not from a you're a shitty person perspective, if that makes any sense. It does. Yeah. Here's mother-in-law. We don't know what kind of relationship they had with the mother-in-law before now, but generally that dynamic is tense. She shows up at a time when Nora definitely needs the support, certainly, but there's support and then there's support. Like, she is living in the home, and she is there. And Max has made some subtle, and maybe not not so subtle, suggestions that he doesn't like it for whatever reason. So now maybe Max is thinking, well, fine, if... You're not going to think that I can support you, then just let the mother-in-law do it then. If that's who you want to help you, then 
you have that help you. And it's bothering him to the point now that he's not even articulating that. He's just lashing out. So that they are both, yes, worse versions of themselves. And I wanted it to be like, holy crap. It is really striking. When they are not nice, they are not nice. Max is pretty nasty. Other people in this season lashing out. He was just doing it in a passive-aggressive way. Very much in agreement with that. He's taken a pretty radical departure from the goofy, happy-go-lucky, not very attentive gesture kind of character. And he still has his moments, but um, yeah. he. Uh, it was just well, really they, dark. Yeah. And I'm surprised that inside the fourth wall this season, too. Definitely, yeah. And that was also another manifestation of they are not themselves. And if they're that far from themselves, then, you know, how far can they be from divorce? I mean, I've got to be honest, I wasn't writing them this negatively to have it be this much of a negative reaction to both of those characters, let alone one of those individual characters. And maybe that was subconscious on my part. It certainly wasn't intentional, but certainly how they come across and in the larger context, yeah, I can see it. It is like it's being described as watching something that was beautiful and warm just go really sour and south and just fall apart, and it's just depressing. This whole crazy pregnancy journey is going to end with two shiny, spandy new humans, Earthside, that they are going to be responsible for, which is the stated reason for Nora inviting her mother to come and help. Whatever Max may think, she didn't just randomly show up to make his life miserable. Miserable is having to deal with new babies and no extra hands. Yeah. Yes, it's certainly at this point, like, the village is going to raise these child. The question is, are the parents going to be together or not while the village is helping raise their children? Speaking of the notion of it takes a village and whatnot, I'll be interested to see if anything comes from the fact that it's Gary, who winds up driving Nora to the hospital to give birth, and if um, that was just a one-time, you're here, I need help, or if that's a, I'm going to keep reaching out to you kind of thing. Well, I think that would be certainly something that Riley would see as a positive in their relationship, seeing as how Riley is friends with Max and Nora, and would probably very much like to see Gary do the same, if for no other reason than, oh, it'll put me in good stead with Riley if I'm nice, or... You know, I mean, it is Riley who, who, who prompted Gary to drive them. I could see it going either way. You know, obviously not too many people in the cast like Gary terribly much, and he is kind of self-absorbed. But on the other hand, he is older. He is a parent. He's been here before, that kind of thing. So either what would Gary do, and I'm going to do that, or what would Gary do, and I do something else? Because... That- <laughs> Avery just figured out that Caden is fully functional and programmable in multiple techniques. <laughs> Did one more turn season four meet, exceed, or fall short of your expectations and why? It met. It exceeded my expectations in some ways, and it fell short in others, so it's like it met them just because that's the spot in the middle. So I could see why somebody would say, yes, I'm absolutely happy to see because of this thing or this character. But on the other hand, there were some strong, I really didn't like what that character did this season. I would say met as well. I would say met as well. I would say exceeded in the sense that I saw things out of characters that I didn't expect. 
I mean, a visceral reaction is always a good thing. And you feel like it's not so as inconsistent as so jarring and it's a completely different character with the same name because that doesn't feel real either. Right. Mm. Thankfully, you walked up to the line of trope or stereotype with Max and his mother-in-law, but we never actually saw the interaction. So, you know, it's left as an exercise to the listener to determine what exactly it is about his mother-in-law that he finds so detestable besides her mere presence. For some people, that may be Marie from Everybody Loves Raymond. That may be the mother-in-law from the Flintstones. And gosh, her mom was awful. You see, kids, there is this show. (laughs) (laughs) It could just be your standard personality conflict between two people of goodwill who both love the same third party, just in completely different ways. I'm in the in the middle thing where sometimes the characters were not being, you know, as we've been discussing, and then at the same time, wow, it's turning into like a hell couple, and then the, the other couple that's just like normalish is stereotypical suddenly, and you know. Mm-hmm. To buttress that point, that's where it fell short for me. Hudson and Caleb, they exceeded my expectations by quite yeah. a lot, but Gary and Riley's contribution, it was fun. I liked riffing. I, I, I like playing Gary, because he's a fun character, but he was superfluous a lot, and Riley felt the same way for me as well. So, like I said, it kind of just comes back to who are we talking about to answer this question. Yeah, pretty much the same as everybody else said. I mean, you know, good things, bad things. I enjoyed it. That's a much better situation to be in in terms of a writer, and I think for all of us, because I know for the majority for season three, it was below expectations. What do you hope is the audience's takeaways from One More Turn season four? I'd like the uh, audience to take away that something different is going to happen next season. So one of the brothers is gone and life's changed significantly for the others. Earlier in this call, someone mentioned one potential way for uh, Max and Nora to get out of it better. My thought was Max needs to take charge of his storyline and as a result, become less passive aggressive and angry. In this season, he did not have character growth or change, it didn't seem to me, at least. He had things happen to him in a passive sense, and he was around to contribute in some ways, but he was not taking charge of his own story. And I think that probably is either going to have a big payoff, or maybe it should, either in a spectacularly positive or negative fashion. I like the idea that was stated earlier in the call that... Others need to intervene for this to end in a positive way. And I suppose it'll be interesting to see what happens. There is a little bit of a problem there in that this has not been a show about Max and Nora. And is it going to be? Does it have to be for them to resolve this problem? I don't know where Dan's going to take it. It should be interesting. Anyone have a response that kind of falls from that? I realize it's not so much about your character specifically, but, you know, in terms of a takeaway, if you wanted to dovetail into that. Uh, I guess I can kind of dovetail on on that one. Um, I really feel like at this point, Gary needs a reason to stay. That isn't just my girlfriend wants to help some of these whack jobs. (laughs) (laughs) He was either acting in strictly a professional capacity or he was responding to what the women in his life were putting in front of him, either Riley or Nora. And, As was pointed out, that's not great or compelling and also kind of just contributes to things going bad if they were already inclined to go that way. 
my read also is that Gary is very fond of Riley. He adores Riley, but I get the feeling he's very cognizant of the age difference between the two. So he's sort of tiptoeing around imposing his will on that relationship too much. So he's letting her steer things and he'll kick up a fuss. He'll snark about it, but he has not really, from my read of things, been terribly proactive. So part of taking control of the story, I think, would kind of have to do with hopefully steering that relationship on more of his own terms, perhaps. What do you think, Mackie? Am I completely off with my reading of the relationship between our characters? Or No, she's trying to make all the decisions. And I don't know this necessarily the way he actually wants to go. But like you're saying, he's, he doesn't want to impose. He's doing a lot of talking, but it's mostly just the kind of snark that people are used to ignoring. Yeah. They need to sit down and have a serious talk, which I know it's hard to get Riley to do a serious talk sometimes, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Riley's defining the boundaries of the relationship, redefining the boundaries of the relationship. He's like, I don't like it, but okay, these are the new boundaries of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Really doesn't seem to be a lot of input from him other than, okay, what's my adjustment period now? <laughs> Right, yeah, and you can can see an even more extreme version of it happening with Max and Nora. Carson points out in his, you know, little farewell captain's log that Gary is still the legal representative of really anybody in the cast at this point. You know, he's, he's got a largely negative relationship with most of the cast, and I feel like there needs to be some kind of development to show that he's got attachments that are outside of Riley. He needs to take charge of things as well, in a sense, you know. Otherwise, I really feel like it will start being a, why are you still here kind of thing. I mean, it's true that we're not so much measured by the situations that we find ourselves in, but our responses to them. But at the same time, if we let the situations we find ourselves in just be, well, I have to react in whole or in part, or that's the driving force. Well, I mean, you know, my audience takeaway was the Dan can quote-unquote kill characters, which is something that may or may not have been talked about for a couple of seasons, but I enjoy the fact that you actually decided to move that ahead to some degree. I mean, Carson's luckily not dead, so he can actually come back, but at the same time, it's sort of interesting to see you actually go with it. And for Caleb... I think about the tagline that I gave the promo for this season, which is fight or flight, something's got to give. And we see a lot of fighting, maybe not as much flight, but certainly Carson is flight at this point in time. And and Carson has been very much fight, fight, fight for, you know, three and a half seasons. I hope that Carson can find a way to stay in contact with a lot of them, his brother and some of the others, because, I mean, cutting yourself totally off like that can... I think, lead to depression and whatnot. And since he's already an alcoholic, he could backslide into that, and that could be, unfortunately, you know, really bad. So I hope finds a way to find solace or not uh, destroy himself. Culties, he's also kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. His support network is gone. His brother, his mother. Yeah. Yes, I'm hoping that, again, he stays in contact with them and or at least figures out how to deal with people. That's the thing. No matter where you go, there's always going to be drama people, you know? So even if you go to a different state, different city, there's always going to be somebody starting drama. You, you, you can't avoid that. That's the human race, the human condition. So he's going to find that just because he left, that doesn't mean there aren't problems. He's just running away from them. And I don't know that that's really the uh, solution here. Carson will find problems, version 2.0. Yay! Yep, pretty much. 
and you can have a captain log saying that. It's like, I, I, I thought I was getting away from problems, but I just made new ones and made it harder on myself. <laughs> At least I made you guys my problems. <laughs> At least I know how to kind of deal with it. Wow. I guess the takeaway question isn't always the easiest for me to answer, and I apologize. Dan is a brilliant writer. That's my takeaway <laughs> for the audience. Oh, Jennifer. Wow, that's that's really heartwarming. I, I thank you for that. <laughs> Dan needs constant validation, therefore he that wasn't very can, that wasn't humble uh Canadian there, Dan. That's uh we have to check into that now. See, Scott, that wasn't me saying that, that was Jennifer and she's American, so why would it sound Canadian? I mean <laughs> Oh um, <laughs> The takeaway should be that um that this is a particular dramedy that is actual stuff going on as much as i was not really a fan of max or nora this season it was a real situation it's certainly something that happens so i hope the audience takeaway is gosh i can't wait to see what happens next season um <laughs> then my one wish for avery next season I hope she gets more interesting stuff to do with interesting people and interesting situations. You know, there is something that Avery and Max have in common with each other that they don't have in common with any other characters, other than the other characters tell them to stop doing that, either through their looks or their words. And that's Avery and Max both love puns. We've kind of got the Max keep getting the, whoa, whoa, the looks you two, just kidding, just kidding, or the... No, Avery. <laughs> Which I kind of split that part of my personality of the pun, and I gave part of it to Avery, and I gave part of it to Max. I don't know if anyone else picked up on that. Dan, if you wrote a thing without puns, we worried about you. <laughs> oh, so that's your kind of check-in that I, I'm still okay and I'm still me. Yes. <laughs> okay. Is Dan funny? All right, we're good. <laughs> and what about you, Mackie? Audience takeaways, hopes for Riley, season five. Uh, she needs to make up her mind and quit trying to steamroll everything. That would be good. That's okay. I think this whole town needs a marriage therapist too, or a relationship therapist. I like people take away that it's going to be more complex. The characters are going to develop. I'd like them to take away it doesn't have any fatigue in it. There's no half-hearted efforts going into the acting or the producing and things like that. And if there are, they would show really quickly. But as for my character in general, I just like to see him form relationships or refuse to form relationships based on his kind of messed up personality that he might have based on how he judges particular characters without really understanding them. Because he's young, so I assume he's going to make some quick snap judgments on top of a person without really thinking about it. Oh, he'll make judgments on top of a person, all right. I left you open for that one. I hope that Hudson continues his attempts to improve his relationships with family and friends of family, and it's out of mutual gain and not selfish interest. I'm not expecting him to be a completely different person, but he's had such good character growth. But I'm actually interested to see how the relationship between he and Caden is going to play out, because Caden at least certainly seems to be an open book about this relationship already, and understandably, Hudson's already caught that kind of, you had the life I didn't have. And I hope the audience takeaway is that the more things change, the more they stay the same. That'll be able to resolve some of the things that have been identified in this season and ensure that the character development and the plot development both move along, that hopefully they kind of progress together, maybe not to the same degrees, but that people want to continue to listen to the series because they're invested in the characters and are wondering kind of uh, what's next. 
the overarching theme in a way is that life happens, that it kind of goes back to what I said, I think, in the season one commentary, one more turn, that there's always one more thing that you think you've got this trajectory, things are going well or they're not going well, and something happens. How do we respond to that? How does the respective characters' relationships with each other and their background, gamers or non-gamers, good relationship, bad relationship, current relationship, past relationship, how do those things play in here? Not trying to get to any particular morality, as in this is the product you should follow this moral because it is right and it is wrong. And you see that because this character was rewarded or that character was penalized. But it's about the process of what you decide is right or wrong, good or bad. Because what you think is good or bad for a character or what you think is good or bad in terms of development in the plot is going to be very different based on not only the character or the plot, but also the person you are yourself. Because a number of people have come to this commentary and say, look, I try not to bring my personal experience, but I can't help but use that as part of my lens for this character. This has been a comprehensive commentary, and I want to thank everyone for their time and their thoughts. We've got to challenge ourselves, even if we realize, you know what, this is the good projection. We need to be able to be reflective. We don't want to be a Bella that has a difficulty reflecting. <laughs> But we also kind of want to be able to recognize that maybe I am a Bella or trying to think, geez, what character analyzes and thinks too much? Oh, maybe that's Caden. I don't want to be Caden either. That That is One More Turn Season 4, One More Turn Season 5, coming to an internet near you, not necessarily the internet that you know. The dramedy continues. Hey! It's nice to be able to, like, uh, kind of poke around in the heads of the people that are voicing their characters, as well as, obviously, the guy who's writing the whole thing. (laughs) Absolutely. Music by Kevin McLeod. Voiceovers by Jordan Lund. Visit the official One More Turn website at onemoreturn.net. Copyright Civilized Communication at civcom.net. And if so, right. no, there are people like that, but why would we want to read or listen or watch them? That's definitely a... a, a big thing to, to bring up too um <clears throat> the um oh shit i lost my train of thought uh <laughs> um uh yeah sorry go somebody go ahead maybe i'll, I'll recover it <laughs> yeah when you're trying not to think about it one more turn